You're tuned in to the NWSL Rewind, presented by Modern Soccer Coach. That's what you call USA, razzle-dazzle. Now your host, Clifton Bush. And we are back for week nine of the NWSL Rewind. It's flying by so fast already. And this week had some very, very interesting games. Um, score lines that were maybe a little bit unpredictable from last week, uh, as well as our part two of our amazing interview with Anthony DeChico. So make sure to stay tuned for that. Uh, Sierra and I, it gets better and better as the as the weeks go. Uh, oh, so yeah. you, you don't want to miss this week and you certainly don't want to miss next. So uh, keep that in the forefront of your mind. But we're going to go through this week's matches, a few midweek matches, and then uh, get to some, like I said, some a bit of surprising results uh, over the weekend. So, Sierra, how are we doing today? Good, you know, getting the midweek games always tire me out. I feel like I'm like not prepared for 5,000 Wednesday games. <laughs> but we like make it work. Slate, you know. Yes, like, <laughs> so, you're like it's really technically week like 14 at this point. You know, I know. Like, I feel so like exactly. Yeah. I feel like really, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But we've got uh, a bit of time off coming up here. Yep. Um, with the break at after next week. Yep. If that's right. Got a week break after next week. So. Yeah, which will be good for the players. I think we'll relieve a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and I think more, even more than the players, maybe the uh, coaching staffs might need. Yeah. A, there's, there's half of the coaching staffs that probably need a little bit of a. Yeah. Okay, let's reset this and see <laughs> where we're going to go from here. So, exactly. um, yeah, so I, I, I think everybody's probably looking for a little bit of a respite here coming up. But Exactly. Yeah, so for midweek matches this week, what did you what did you have there, Sierra? Um, so for midweek games, uh, actually some interesting scores. So we had uh, Orlando-North Carolina game, um, and North Carolina won 4-3. Lots of lots of goals, and then you had that game. Uh, McDonald had the goal in the 90th minute, um, which won the game. So that was a game-winning goal. Um, we saw a little bit of change with Marta kind of being on the outside, and people struggled with that this week. So Whoa. that was the struggle. A little foreshadowing <laughs> things to come. Things to come. Marta playing wide. Exactly. So I think people struggled with that, but I think um, it was a good game. Uh, a lot of goals. I think easy goals though. Um, you know, I don't think, uh, I mean, there were good goals, but I think that people were unmarked on the back post, especially with North Carolina. You had a lot of unmarked players with Marta service in there. Um, and then we had Washington, New Jersey, um, decent game. Washington won one zero hatch scored. Um, they scored a nice goal off of a set piece. Um, and then, uh, we had Rosa Lavelle that came back. So that was awesome. First appearance since last year. Um, so that was good for her to get in minutes. Big ups to Hatch. Getting yeah. the game winner. See, Big always a shout fans. out. Big shout out. out here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> couldn't, uh, couldn't let you get away with this. Without one of those. Um, but yeah, it was good to see Rosa Lavelle come back, um, in that game. I think, you know, get her back on the pitch and be able to see her put a couple passes together and do some things. So more to come, I think for them with her returning. Um, and then you had Houston, Seattle, which I think for lots of people, this was a interesting scoreline, um, you know, with Houston winning two to one over Seattle. Um, and so, 
you know, they had a goal two minutes extra time and <laughs> they scored. So I think, um, you know, and then Daly and Mewis were unbelievable in that game. And so um, what's interesting is, is that Houston had 37%, I think, of the possession and then Seattle had 62. So just the ability, I guess, to be dangerous in the final third for Houston in that game was critical for them to win. But, I mean, it's a huge win for them. Um, and obviously more to come with the games on the weekend. Yeah, a bit of a little slow start. I wonder about a Seattle team that doesn't start with Rapino. Yep. Um, are they able to get going into a rhythm that, you know, helps them be the team that they're supposed to be, whether it's moving right. the ball, switching the point, finding right. Taylor, uh, using Rapino down that left flank, just seem like maybe – Yep. And the change happened at 46, you know, you come in at, at the halftime break and it looked like a normal match until right. maybe the goals start, you know, Houston is able to kind of counter on a couple of little things. but Right, right. I thought, and like I said, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting scoreline. I think, you know, for Houston, it's awesome because I think it gets them some points um, and moves them up. And as we start to talk about games later, you'll start to notice that Houston's moved up in the, in the rankings and, so I think that's a great win for them. I don't think uh, Seattle is really sweating it, if that makes any sense. I think that it's a game they drop and they move on and they get to the next one. But um, great points for Houston. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's any points for Houston are certainly. We talked, yeah. I think, last week about, like, the ties that Houston was getting and how important those, like, you couldn't look those or look past them. Right. right? Like, those are important ties that they were getting. So now yep. – getting three points midweek and then for the spoiler alert, you know, getting three points right. at the weekend back to back yep. is, I mean, that's just massive for rolling the snowball down the hill a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, so for overall for Wednesday games, I would say probably you have, I mean, North Carolina, I think it's a decent game. I think they were thrown off by the whole Marta change out wide but I think they gave up kind of softer goals. So I don't think North Carolina really sweats this one. I think, you know, yes, it was a tight game, but they win. They get their points. They're undefeated still. Um, and then Washington, I think it's a good win that they pick up against New Jersey. Um, and then the, I would say the, the surprise would be Houston-Seattle game. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah, it was good. And then we went to Friday's game, which was fun. And then we have Saturday game, which are fun too. So we're going to get into our weekend games. Yeah, I mean, I think – as we look at the weekend, the couple of games are have some very interesting <laughs> attributes to them. I think so. We're we're trying to kind of converse about a specific team yep. more in depth, and this week that's going to be Houston. We're going to kind of take this opportunity and see what we can delve into into Houston and what they're going to be about moving forward. But one team that we've, or two teams, frankly, that we've talked a lot about it, the playoffs and all of that kind of stuff has yep. been Chicago and Orlando. Yep. Uh, and Chicago, two, three games ago, loses to Orlando. Yep. You know. Yep. And that game to me didn't seem very indicative of like how Chicago was playing or the rhythm no. or kind of their momentum that they had. Yep. And now you're looking at this game and going, well, maybe 
that was more that was maybe more emblematic of what's happening at the front half of the season for right. Chicago right now. Right. Yeah, it's it's a tough. I think that was a tough one. I think you've got to look, and I think when people see the scoreline of that game, they're gonna go, "Oh my gosh, five two! They gave up five goals! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh!" But then you have to kind of look at the back and forth. I mean, it it was you know it was three two at one point, you know, and then then they started to pull away, and I think so. You have to kind of, I mean. Chicago's in it and they're in the game and they're they're finding ways to get goals. I mean, I think a really big time positive is this Kerr scores two in that Absolutely. game. And I think that's a huge thing to pull away because she wasn't really finding, I think, that rhythm. I think we were you know, we were talking about how it's kind of taken her a minute to get up on the board. And I think for her to find two, that's and you've got to also keep in mind if you watch the game, she missed, I think, two breakaways. Yeah. Or at least one for one, sure. Yeah. And so you know, that's five to three. And maybe and maybe if she scores that one earlier, it's three to three. And now all of a sudden the game maybe changes a little bit. So I think um, there's some definite positives to pull out of it. I think obviously, you know, if anybody's looking at it from a, I don't want to say a negative, but a, 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 you know, a development standpoint, you want to find a way that we can't give up five goals. And I mean, it's going to be hard, especially against an Orlando team or something like that. Anybody who scores five goals on you, it's, I mean, it's going to be hard for you to come back. Yeah, I mean, I think as far as Chicago is concerned, it, on the attacking side, like yep. you said, Kerr scoring two goals, um, maybe there was, I think it was a little bit of a story of missed chances. Vesconcelos yep. has yep. what probably should have been a goal. Yep. Um, I mean, it's a little like how far was the recovery run right. for Zadorsky to come and clear yep. that ball away? And so there is maybe a few missed chances, but having Kerr score goals is always going to be a positive. Now, yep. on the defensive end, this is we've probably had most of this lineup. So with Gilliland, Johnson, and Naughton. Mm-hmm. We've seen different right backs kind of come and go. Yep. And I think that we keep kind of talking about this a little bit with Chicago too, is like that's a position that needs solidification yeah. in a very, very real way. And Casey Short isn't yet to be back. And so Mm-mm. that hurts. And so that goes to yep. the other side of what we were talking about, which is Martha playing on that out wide, part. wide left <laughs> versus a position yep. in Chicago that has maybe – struggled for a bit of consistency. So now (laughs) the space is just so wide open and Naughton has to play maybe a little bit outside of the comfort zone for a center back. Uh, Colaprico, Vesconsuelos, how they kind of can close down Marta and help just maybe didn't gel well enough. All that said, it was (laughs) 2-2. Right, Um, right. You know, it was 2-2 after what 60 minutes so yeah I well, and you had LaRue come in and score two goals in two minutes in two minutes <laughs> and so it's where the chances maybe were missed by chicago LaRue yeah. clearly and where the holds goal too i mean they were all just capitalized goals where now the ball's gone in the net and so yeah. there's what that means for chicago moving forward uh I, I mean, your guess would be as good as mine. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
but I think there's there's obviously a team there. I thought for me, one thing that I have been saying is the second goal that Kerr scored, I don't think happens if they are still playing with her as a lone attacker. Yep. And so maybe that's one way forward to scoring yep. maybe a few more consistent goals and getting her isolated. I, I don't know if you're like, hey, pick a better 1v1. Who do right. you want 1v1 right, right. going to goal with the ball yeah. in the yeah. entire world right now? I don't know that you would pick anybody besides Sam Kerr. Right. So no. for me, getting her maybe with help up top yep. or a first nine or something, just something a little bit closer to occupy the other center back, I thought was absolutely brilliant. Yep. It just so happened to be short lived with Lurus then scoring. Yeah, two back. minutes or yeah, two minute goals. Headers, you know, like she's just scoring yeah. bangers on the back side of those goals, you know. Right. Well, and I mean I think I'm I think you're with it on the defensive end too. I think it's just I like the same thing with North Carolina. I think you throw Marta in there in that out wide spot and all of a sudden now you have to draw at least two defenders because you have to have one that's pressuring and you're going to have to have, and especially with the inconsistency in Chicago's right side, you have to have one that's covering her. So you're almost shifting your line all the way over, which is leaving. So when Marta beats somebody, she just slips that ball in backside and now you don't have anybody in there and now we're disorganized and now we're pulled apart. And so I think you saw a little bit of disorganization. And then, like I said, I don't think this is just a Chicago problem. I think this was a, I mean, North Carolina struggled with it yeah. in their game and Marta being thrown out there really, I mean, people are going to have to, if that's what Orlando ends up doing, they're going to have to figure it out. Now saying that we've seen it twice now. So hopefully whoever sees it next week, <laughs> if Doesn't, she's thrown out wide, figure it out. <laughs> don't don't fall for it. Exactly. Don't fall for it. Yes. I think, I think it's hard because you don't – I mean, you see it against North Carolina and you're thinking, okay, you know what, they're trying something because North Carolina is North Carolina. They're athletic. They're fast. We're going to isolate Martha out wide and see what happens. And I don't think – you think, okay, I mean, there's no way they're going to do that. You know what I mean? It's just you're thinking, oh, they're not going to do that against everybody else. And then they did it against Chicago, and you're like, wait, is this the new thing? Is this what they're well, doing? It felt, it felt like a switch was coming. I guess, right. like, that was their announced lineup, right? Uh, especially versus North Carolina. Yep. Uh, it was actually announced as LaRue playing, yep. and then she got sick, and Abagagoo ended up going in. But right. you feel like Abagagoo and Morgan wide with yep. Marta as a nine would be a very, very natural setup. Exactly. And so now you have Marta able to cut in and she's switching. I mean, she's switching to Bagagoo onto the right. She's putting herself on the left. She's putting herself on the right. Like it's, it's a very dangerous situation regardless of who's playing on the opposite side. Because, I mean, you're talking about Hinkle with North Carolina for a part of it, Matthias for part of it. These are right. top tier defenders but with those games they were also attacking so right, right. you're letting you're letting attacking defenders play against a very attacking wide player who's you know arguably the best to have ever played right uh, ever so like, I right. Mean, you might, right. so yeah i think you're spot on it's a it's going to be a a task for uh, who who does orlando have next do you know oh gosh I do not know. Uh, whoever whoever that is, it's uh, get the scouts out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> start to 
you know, putting the start to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, her movements in in from wide areas. So yeah, just so that they can can be wary of what's going on. But it's a benefit to yeah, a player like Marta being willing to play in other positions like that is only a benefit to Tom Sawani. Yeah. Oh, for so. sure, it's going to help them really in the long run. Absolutely. Orlando plays Seattle June third. There we go. There you go. That's a game. That'll be a game. Yeah, that's a good one. That'll be a game. <laughs> Marta, Marta playing high wide on one side, Rufino playing high wide on the other. I know, right? Woo. It'll be a battle of left forwards. That's <laughs> battle of the number elevens. So, <laughs> so we had Portland with a two-o win over Utah. Sinclair and Horan scoring two goals in the first half. Yep. Um I mean, not not a game that I thought was sparked with a ton of like just energy, but I no. will say the change for Mark Parsons to four backs has now. It, you're talking about another kind of tactical change that has yep. switched up the points momentum for a team. So yeah, four backs go into. Instead of the five, I think for me it does one thing that is massive, and it helps Midge Purse maybe have a little bit more of a defined role. Yeah. And so she's able to attack when it's time and make the the appropriate decision and yep. defend when it's time because she's actually a very good defender. Yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day. Right. Yeah, and I think you've got. I mean, that game to me, I think it was. I wasn't surprised. Um, I think, you know, what I was surprised about is if you look at, like, the stats and the game, I mean, it wasn't – I think when you say there wasn't very much energy, I'm kind of with you. Like, I think it was eight shots to eight. I mean, both shots, they were even shots. Uh, Portland, like, I think they out they had more service than uh, Utah did. And then possession, I mean, I think Utah actually yeah. outpossessed Portland, yeah. um, which is kind of surprising. Um, but – I don't – I mean, I just think it was – I think Portland is a good team. I think Utah's done very well, don't get me wrong. But I think Portland's more of a seasoned team. Utah's a new team. I mean, Utah is that newer – you know, this is first year, and they're trying to, you know, get everything organized, and I think they're going to be good in the next coming years. But I think Portland's been a foundation – you know, they've been a team that's been in the league, and I think that they're doing a good job, and they, they kind of know – you know, they know each other. They know what they're doing. And Sinclair and Haran, I mean, not surprised that both of them have scored. Um, they've been fantastic all season long. So I'm not really surprised by this scoreline at all. No, I mean, it, this 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1, however you yep. want to call it, I think gives <laughs> so much more flow yes. for Sinclair to play more of a natural 10. Yep. Have a player like Sonogokovic, like just – defensively screening, moving, yeah. you know, right. moving from Corsi to Sauerbrunn, they're trying to make things mm -hmm. disruptive for Scott. And that is a huge help to then allow Haran to then just pick balls off. So now exactly. you have Haran and Andresina when the ball does go long or you are trying to break the lines. Yep. Now you have two of the best midfielders out there just Absolutely. picking off play. And yeah. so now we can go forward and break quickly. I think that's the one thing maybe that Portland did slightly better than Utah was yeah. the buildup was there for both teams, yeah. but the transition in speed from buildup to attack was 
a bit faster and a bit more clinical from Portland. And that's something yeah. that has done really, really well. It yeah. just, I think on the day, Portland was a little bit more clean in transitioning yeah. from buildup to actual scoring opportunity creation. Yeah. Well, and I think when we talked about last week is like, you know, Amy Rodriguez was kind of the focal point of Utah. And I think we saw a game where they can't count on just Amy Rodriguez to be the focal point. And I think that they're still, like I said, they're still new. So it's not like, I mean, I don't think there's any question marks. I don't think there's anything to be concerned about. I think they're a newer team in that league. And I think they're starting to figure out that they need more attack slash everything else from just, not just from Amy Rodriguez. They're going to need more numbers. They're going to need more people stepping up. And I think we saw that in that game against Portland. Yeah, I mean, Tamarack was probably the next option. Yep. It yep. seemed like Tamarack was the one who was getting through a little bit more. Yeah. I, my question would be this, is we've seen Houston change things up and yep. have an increase in their points that they've been getting. We've seen Orlando change things up. Have an increase in points that they've been getting. We've seen Portland change things up, have an yeah. increase in points that they've been getting. Is there a change that you could make to Utah that maybe right. helps right. you? Because they've been the one team that's probably done the same thing, thing. over and over. Yep. And so it seems like this is maybe is this is the year of tactical changes by coaches. Yeah, right, right. Well, That'll be interesting. I mean, I think if you – can you find a way to isolate Amy Rodriguez? Can you find a way – I mean, I think right now you, you can't really get her by herself, if that makes sense. So I yeah. think can we find a way to pull her away, almost like a Marta? Can you get her out of there where she's almost a distraction? You pull her wide and let her go 1v1 and isolate her on the outside. Um, or, you know, let her get in behind with her speed. Whatever it is, can you find that isolation? And then that maybe distracts, and now you have some other options that you can play underneath or get in and through the midfield. Uh, there we go. Sierra's calling for uh, Rodriguez <laughs> to join the left Yeah, join the forward. left, left forward. Why not? Throw it out there. <laughs> <laughs> Rodriguez playing in the 11, Young's daughter in the 9. We there got it. Go. We got it. Done. We got it. It's, <laughs> Sierra's on it. So <laughs> moving on to Sky Blue Seattle 1-0. To Seattle with a surprise, surprise, Megan Rapino goal. <laughs> so in the 64th minute, Rapino gets the game winner. Now, Sky Blue had a lot of opportunities to yep. actually take the lead in this game. Yep. That they just couldn't capitalize on. And I that they really probably should have capitalized on, I guess, is probably mm-hmm. more of what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, and they, I mean, and if you look at their stats, I mean, they have over, they overtook Seattle and everything. I mean, other than like shots on goal, I mean, they had more corners. The possession was to sky blue. The shots was 10 to nine. I mean, so they really, I think were more, I I would say this is probably the first game that I felt like I was like, you know what, this is a game they could win. Like this is the one they're going to win. And um, you know, I mean, Rapino's Rapino and she scored a good goal and, um, but I do think that this was the one that you kind of look at and go, okay, this is what this sky blue team looks like in, you know, in the attack and defense. Cause they were good defensively. I mean, they looked, I think overall looked like a solid team. Like this was the first time I felt like they kind of looked 
as a unit, offensively, def- defensively, in transition, put together well. Yeah, I, I think Sheridan made their defense look a lot better than yes. I thought it. Like, the back four was okay enough yep. to make Sheridan look them make them look really good. Yeah, <laughs> yep. yep. I mean, like that was kind of my my take on it. Was yep. it was more goalkeeper play than than yep. anything. I, I still think you're you're probably behind the eight ball with a back four here. It just yes. You just don't see the kind of defensive firepower that you mm-hmm. see with the rest of the squads. Um, McCaskill, Lloyd up top with Becky, who did very had a very, very good game. Yes. But are you able to defend from the front? You're not you're not like Houston where you're just kind of packing it in. Mm-mm. But you're not you don't have the high powered offense like a Portland or or Chicago or even or even at um North Carolina. Right. So you can't really just Mm-mm. go at it on the attacking side either. So Mm-mm. you have to figure out a way to build, possess the ball, yeah, get players into the right zones in order to then create. So it's a lot of work, I think, for New Jersey. A lot yeah. of things have to go right for them to finally get that first win. Right. Well, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think, again, you know, they're similar to Utah. I mean – they're just newer, and I think to see kind of where they're, where they go, where they you know take things. I mean, do they change you know next season? I mean, looking forward, do they change who they have in their back four? Do they try to get someone else? Maybe they gel somewhere else. I mean, I just don't know. I think you know it's hard because like you're saying, they don't have. I mean, you look at all these other teams, and you can kind of define their backs they're back four, they're back six, whatever it is. And you can say, okay, with North Carolina, I know their two outside backs are fast and dynamic and they're going to go forward. They're going to run 40, 60 yards, and then they're going to get back 40, 60 yards. And we are solid enough in the center back where we don't really have to worry about it. I mean, you know, Houston's going to pack it in, you know, I mean, you just kind of know these things with some of these teams. And I think right now is the question is, is like, what is New Jersey bringing? Cause I feel like they're almost stagnant. Like they can't, they're not super dynamic going forward from their outside backs and they're not solid enough to really send them forward, <laughs> but they're not sitting deep. You know what I mean? It's just kind of an uneasy, what are they going to do? Figure it out kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I've, I've heard from coaches before. I think like one of the hardest things to, to deal with is kind of a mid block is like you're right. not teaching you know, low block, you're not teaching high pressure, you're trying to teach people how to maintain a middle. Yep. The core players. And that's I mean, the lineup is constantly changing. Yep. The you know, the not necessarily the player like Lloyd and McCaskill have been there, but it's like just their roles have changed a bit. Yep. You know, like you don't is McCaskill gonna be a hold up nine? Is she gonna play in a seven role? Out wide right, like yep. what is going to be her responsibility to cross balls or yep. is it to carry Hold into on. the box? <laughs> yeah, right. What like what at, at the end of the day, like what can you count on consistently yeah. right. from the Caskill to help you create more goals? Where yeah. you have on Seattle on the other side, I don't even have to talk about Rapino. The way Taylor's been playing, the way Fishlock's been playing, right. the way Suki's been playing, you know what they're bringing. And exactly. Suki and Fishlock are going to hold the ball. They're yep. going to combine. They're going to find spaces where they forced it 
one way and now yep. the weak side is completely available taylor's going to run they're going to be able to find her with the perfect inch perfect ball like those are the things that you've come to expect from seattle right where's the predictability yeah from new jersey yeah it'll it'll be interesting how they develop i mean like i said it'll be i think right now you know they're they're newer and they're trying to kind of figure out what their roles are and how they play with each other and and kind of that moving forward so it'll be interesting to see where they take their team in the next you know to finish out the season and then once they start the next season kind of what movement happens there because i think you have to if you can't figure it out by the end of the season there's going to have to be some movement and and man, it doesn't mean necessarily that you have poor players or anything like that. It just may be that you don't gel well currently with the squad you have. So it'll be interesting to see. And I think you can't, it's hard because like, yeah, you have the consistency of Lloyd and McCaskill, but McCaskill's a rookie. Like this is her first year in the league. What do you expect her to do? You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's hard to put that but on a kid. She's not on the team though. You know right. what I mean? Well, the, that's the problem. Like why are we not having more vet, you know, seasoned players stepping up and, and being in a more predominant role. And I think that's where we're quite where that's where we're throwing the question mark of they don't we don't know defined roles right now. We can't at least we can't see them. They may have them, maybe they're not doing what they're supposed to be. But <laughs> but we can't we can't physically see what their role is. Shame on them, man. Shame yeah, on exactly. Them. It's players' fault always. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Never I'm a coach. Sure Denise Reddy's doing everything that is necessary to get out. Two coaches who were clearly the two of us who clearly transitioned out of playing into coaching. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> um, last match that we'll talk about the back-to-back wins for Houston Dash. I mean, if you would, I, I think we ought to go back and like replay parts of like week two from the show. You know, like yeah, week two and no three, we, we were absolutely hammering Houston. Yeah. Um, and now they have back-to-back wins. Uh, Good they haven't win. lost one in four, have they? They haven't lost ah. a game in four. Man. And they're currently ranked fifth. I mean. Fifth in the table. One point outside, or two points outside of uh, playoff contention. Yeah, and they're two points from Orlando and Portland. Oh, my. Oh, my. What, <laughs> what a difference four weeks makes. Oh, <laughs> Holy crap. This, I mean, and I'll I'll get it out of the way. We'll we'll try not to we'll say mention it too many times, but uh, you know, it's it's a big deal for Houston just because of how well she has played. Um, but the injury to Mewis yeah. in I believe the sixteenth minute. Yes. Um, somewhere somewhere around there. Nineteenth minute. Um nineteenth, yeah. Yeah, saw her out and the reports are now she won't be rejoining the team for the remainder of the season due to an injury to her knee. Uh, so with that out of the way, <laughs> I mean, there was still 70 minutes of game left that Houston had to play without her. Right. And Hanson came in and just replaced and held strong in the center of the park and yep. Houston was able to, I mean, it was an interesting movement for Houston because it's still a lot of direct like counterplay yeah. and not necessarily build up and no. you know, it's not your typical, I guess, play. It's a it's as a Leicester City fan, I, I totally adjust with all of this. It's like just kick it as far 
right. as you can to Jamie Vardy, you know, right, <laughs> and, right, right. and Leicester City won a title off of that. So I'm not bemoaning so it by any means. You get your points. <laughs> you get your points. Yeah. But that's what they were able to do, and I think the question then is going to be defensively: Can you continue to win games by yeah. a goal on higher goal totals? Three, right. two, two, one. Right. You know, you're going to be able to pick up three points in those areas. So that, that Hanson change is huge because those are your screens. You know, yeah. she's the screen with Shim, potentially. You know, Mathalo trying to keep Van Wick and Brooks from being under extreme pressure, which they've been for the entirety of this season. Yeah, well, I mean, you got to think. I mean, the one thing that's interesting is is you have so. One goal, Spirit misses a PK. So you have Pew misses a PK. So now we might be 3-3. Three, three. Um, but with that, I mean, the one thing I would say with Houston that really, like, bugs me is that the last goal they gave up was a soft, soft, soft goal. Yeah. And you can't – I mean, they can't – and I think they got complacent. I mean, you're up 3-1. You know, you're feeling it. You've got, what, I think like a minute left, and you just kind of are – Keeping the ball, I mean, it's a soft goal to give up. But, I mean, yeah, it happens and mistakes happen. But I think right now, as Houston, you're on a high and you've got to continue to be as sharp as possible. And especially when you're losing Mewis, you have got to be sharp. And so I think that's a soft giveaway. Now, saying that on the other side of it, I think Ohio played fantastic. And I think this was the first game we really see her finally hit that stride. I mean, her goal, I mean, my opinion, should be – the goal of the week. I mean, she's outside the 18, bending around, hit side netting. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a fantastic goal. And I think, and she beat three people. I mean, so I think we finally see Ohio a little bit hit her stride. I mean, if Ohio continues to go, you know, do her, do how she's been, you know, playing, does that change the dynamics of Houston? Do they, you know, do teams now have to more so watch for their attack? Do they have to, kind of be aware and give that, you know, cushion to someone like an Ojai. Um, I think Prince and Daly are working really, really well together um, in that attacking area. Um, that's where the goal comes from. Daly had a fantastic game. Uh, she's a game changer. I think you're right, though. I think the, I think the you know, the question mark is going to be what is it going to look like in that midfield and especially, you know, in that defensive half with Mewis out, you know, how are they going to make up ground? How are they going to change the way they play? Are they going to defend differently? Are they going to sit in that block? You know, what's going to happen from here? Because you can score all those goals, but if you don't have the defensive, you know, organization, you do lose that presence of scoring goals. Cause now all of a sudden there people are going to score goals on you and you're going to get tired. Yeah. And that's the, that back four is, has they struggled a little bit yeah. and that last goal by hatch is probably indicative of what has yes. kind of been the yes. pattern for the back four of Houston over the last how many of our games. And so yep. that, yeah, you're going to have to figure out a way to hold the, because I felt, felt to me like if there was maybe two more minutes of stoppage time, right, right. Washington might've been able to actually get an equalizer. Well, and that's what I'm and saying. That like, you just think... absolutely gutted you. you know? <laughs> well, and that's what you got to think. Like, if Pew scores that, if Pew scores that PK, or someone else takes the PK, whatever, it's 
three to three. I mean, it would have been at that point. I mean, you're at three, three or whatever. And then if they make it now, maybe they're playing a little different because they're tied or whatever. But if you make a mistake like that and it's three, three game over four, three done, you lost it with a minute left. I mean, so I think, you know, again, people are gonna be like, well, yeah, but they were winning. I think Ken Houston play the entire 90 minutes. And that's the question. I mean, I think that's where we, you know, that's where they have to really dial in. And I bet you they got chewed out for it and whatever. But I think, I mean, because we all know, we've all been there as coaches and players. But I think that's the question mark. Is it is it enough where they can hold it together for 90 minutes? Because, again, some of these other teams, not that Washington, I mean, Washington Spirit's a good team. But against, you know, can you, you know, North Carolina, if you get up 3-1 somehow by North Carolina, and then they score one and they've got a minute left and you play the way you're playing. I mean, there's a way they're going to come back. I think so McDonald I think- has two game winners inside of like the yeah. last three minutes of the game or stoppage time or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> well, and that's my thing. Like, or if you're winning, you know, if Houston's winning against somebody one zero with a minute of stoppage time left, are you going to get complacent and give up that kind of goal? I think that's what they've got to kind of evaluate and see, you know, how can we fix that? And then obviously, like they said, the midfield hole is going to be the question mark. I mean, what are they going to do? How are they going to fill that slot? I mean, I think you're right, though. They played they played 70 minutes without her. So, yeah. you know, it worked. I mean, they scored goals. I mean, so so how does that work? How does that adjustment go? You know, I mean, do they are they on a high from winning? you know, not losing in the last four games or whatever it's been, you know, they've moved up in the rankings. Playoffs are at the cusp, you know, does that change their mindset? I mean, it, it, there's something to be said for, you know, that momentum swing. Yeah. All three subs were made by the 66th minute, (laughs) which is, I mean, very, very, like you talked about maybe players being tired or like you have, I mean, that's a lot of players going, a lot of a players lot of but you right. also have your substitutes that are playing let's yeah. go played 35 her own self so you're right, I mean, you're right. still already like those players are having like let's go in her role is gonna have to do so much up and down just to try mm-hmm. and keep up with the runs of daily the balls that are being played out by van wolf and brooks and right. so that's just time and energy that's being put out all the time. I mean, the subs came pretty early. Right. Now, you know, and but it had to probably happen because I don't know how much longer Prince was going to go. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Like, I mean, like, right. Hard, like with the work that she was putting in, that's, right. you know, that's a hard thing to say is how much could she have kept just making those runs. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're, I think you're spot on. It's, those are going to be the issues. that's going to be the difference between a oh my goodness season and a well that's about what we thought right Um, right i mean and now they've got to play the they got to play next week without their canadian national team players yeah Lindsay agnew and uh michelle prince Prince and chapman oh and chapman yep yeah so i mean like that's that's a and I think you've got you're those both three your wide backs yeah. and, and Prince. Like that's gonna be and they're all gonna contributors. Be a lot of so oh, what absolutely, happens? Absolutely, absolutely. 
And you hate to lose those players when you're like, you're just a high. momentum high right now. Right. If you're Vera Powell, you just want to keep going. Like, I mean, like, yeah. you just want to play tomorrow. You're like, right. let's go. Yeah, we're ready. Let's do this all up and we'll just play. Bring them, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I mean, we'll see how that, that affects. I mean, and there's a lot of effect on a lot of teams, obviously, with the yeah. national team players getting called in for the U.S., yeah. Canada. Um, what you won't see, though, is uh, Japanese players getting called in yep. or Australian players yep. leaving. So, uh, you know, there's Seattle Flip and side. Chicago are probably going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, those are two teams I can think off the top of my head who are probably yeah. really enjoying life, yeah. um, you know, moving forward. So, right. yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, obviously that's a it's a conversation on Houston and what, what they'll be about. The, the flip side, just a little bit about just to cap off on Washington is, I mean, where do you see them? They've they've been struggling. Yep. Are they a team that's bottom two or three? Maybe like they've been over the past couple of years, mm-hmm. or are they a team that's just kind of maybe having a I think they're having a struggle. Run of form. Yep, they're having a struggle. I think they 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 are a top five team, or at least up there in the middle of that pack because I think they're. You know, they. I think they have a young team, and they're they're just trying to figure it out. Having Lavelle out has been a nightmare. I think. I think if you add her into that lineup, it changes the dynamic of the whole entire crew. Um, and I think that they're they're more middle of the pack kind of team. So I think just figuring out. I mean, they outpossess Houston easy. I mean, but in that, you're also sitting there going. It's great to keep the ball, but if you're not scoring goals or you're not finishing and winning games, it doesn't matter. And so I think they've got the possession piece. They did score two goals in that game. Again, you got to remember PK was missed. So I think, you know, they have that. So maybe what is going on defensively? What is what is happening in that realm? Because they gave up three goals. And I think, you know, you start to kind of try to piece together how can we score, you know, two or three goals? Because if you score two or three goals on a team like Houston, you should, I mean, realistically, be able to hold it. If you have a good back four, five, or six, you should be able to hold them. And the problem that they're having is, is that they're not. And so what what's happening in that back four or that five, you know, what what's going on that's not having giving them the ability to not give up goals and, and to finish games? Well, so here's maybe a little bit of a interesting statistical scenario. It's not necessarily my thing, but <laughs> three of the four games this weekend, the yep. team that won had lower possession than the yep. team, like, yep. than the opposite team. Yep. The only exception is the Sky Blue Seattle game, and that was like basically fifty-fifty possession. So, yeah, so yeah. at this point, possession right. isn't clearly is not an indicator in this. I mean, at least nope. anecdotally from last week, it isn't an indicator yep. of the success of winning three points on the weekend. So, exactly. I mean, teams are going to have to figure out how to create more opportunities and capitalize yep. on them as opposed to worrying about maybe keeping the ball all the time. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that'll be interesting to see. Absolutely. So, we'll. Uh, We'll be back at it next week. Yep. Right? And then, yep. then a week off. A week off. A yeah. A week off from games. So we will uh, finish up. Stay tuned again. Anthony DeChico, part two of three. Uh, and then you will you will not regret it. I promise you. 
good one. And then we'll see you all next week. Sounds good. You talked about that next level coaching. And so I want to get, I mean, I want to get to the league. And so I want to get to the the NWSL and the current climate in, in the league and what's happening this season. I, this is the sixth year um, of what feels like, I'll, I'll knock on wood, uh, the, the, you know, beginning of what is, will be a long-term yeah. uh, entity for, professional well, women's soccer. Yeah, th- that's the knocking on one. <laughs> it's just, I, you know, it's a little superstition. Um, but this league, this this year has been kind of an interesting one, I, I think, for Sierra and I as we've been watching games and talking about these games, in that it's a lot of... Uh, everybody talks about the parity of this league and it's all the teams are fairly close. I mean, now that might be thwarted by North Carolina this particular season just because of... <laughs> their dominance and how they've been playing or yeah. getting results. Um, but there's a large middle. Um, just give us your kind of impressions of the NWSL and what you've seen this year and kind of, of what you know from the, the coaches and staff and people that you talk to in and surrounding the game. Well, the, the, the first most important thing that you touched on is that we have a sixth season of the NWSL, you know, right. I mean, that's, that's, you know, the other two leagues combined, this is, you know that, um, and, and I, I I think we should celebrate it, and we should you know remind ourselves and and have tremendous gratitude around that. Um, I, I also think that uh, there's a a different set of challenges that this league faces than we've faced in women's soccer before, because it's like going to another level of a video game, right? So, you know, you've, you've gone to that next level, which in this case is just time, but we haven't gone to that next level in terms of, with various exceptions on and off the field, in terms of the quality of play on the field that we saw in the, in the two previous leagues. And in terms of, in some cases, performance by front offices and, and uh, you know, team ownership, uh, you know, off the field. So, you know, and, and the other thing that I think is really important as we start this conversation about the league is, is just like you guys, I, I watch games, I talk about it, I tweet about it because I love the league. I want nothing more than for the league to uh, be successful and be around, you know, at the end of my life, for sure, you know, and, and, and many, many more. But the, the you know, the key here is not for us to be satisfied that we're just in year six and that we just have a league. That's not enough. And I think that, you know, we've, we've learned a lot through the failures of the previous leagues. There is parity in this league. There's not nearly as much parity in this league as there were in the two previous iterations. We just didn't have the drop-off that we've had in NWSL from that middle group to the, to the bottom group. Now, we don't have a Yeovil town who I don't, I don't think, you know, maybe didn't get a point or didn't win a game in the <laughs> FAWSL this season. But uh, we definitely have, you know, have teams that, that um, you know, that are not at the standard. And I think that the narrative around parity is the wrong narrative. The narrative needs to be that 
our best teams are the best teams in the world. And that by setting a standard, by having Carolina do what Carolina has done and continue to incrementally improve ever since their move, uh, which was obviously coming off a championship, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, uh, you know, what we really see there is that it's Paul and Charlie and, and, uh, you know, Steve Malik throwing the gauntlet down and saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is, these are our cards, you know, what are you going to do to, to, you know, to keep pace? And, you know, you look at a player like Denise O'Sullivan who washed out in, in Houston, but has been very important for, you know, for Paul and for the courage. And, you know, it's not because she suddenly grew six inches, you know, it's not because she suddenly learned how to play soccer. It's because he was able to recognize the qualities that she possessed and, and implement those into, uh, you know, into the team, the team uh, strategy there. Yeah, there is, we'll see kind of what happens, obviously, on a world stage with North Carolina participating uh, this summer in, in the, what what is it, the Champions Cup or I, uh, forgive me if I, I don't quite yeah, remember what calling it, the International, international Cup. Cup. Yeah, yeah, so we'll see with North Carolina competing against some, quite frankly, you know, some of the, what you would call the best in the world um, in, in Europe, certainly. So we'll see where we stack up in, in that. It's a double-edged sword for me. I, I, I like that Charlie and the, uh, you know, the group at, at uh, National Champions Cup is the women. I don't like that we're going down the path of having what amounts to mid-season friendlies for yeah. the NWSL, um, you know, in, in that process. I think that, uh, you know, what it is, is it's a shot across the bow for FIFA to say, look, Charlie recognizes that there's value in this. You know, these guys recognize that there's value in this. So what is the holdup? What are we doing that has not allowed for the development of a CONCACAF Champions League for the women or, uh, you know, a, a Club World Cup for the women? Because the truth is, we all know that the Club World Cup for the men is a relatively irrelevant event. But the Club World Cup for the women could be the marquee global event for women's football. Yes. You know, basically the equivalent equivalency of what the Champions, Champions League, League final is. Champions League final. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those. I mean, and that's. And we we had Jen Ruiz on last week. Um, yep. Former Mexican national team player, and all, and so we had a a pretty good conversation about what the Mexican league women's league is doing, and the fan support that they're getting, and the ability to draw off of just generations of like if you are a supporter of Chivas. You're a supporter of Chivas. Yep. And so when the women's team shows up, they yeah. go support Chivas. And so they're the support that they're getting both off the field and on the field and how that's going to increase the development and kind of the the race to the top in CONCACAF, quite frankly, is was an interesting topic of discussion that we had with uh, with Jen last week. It is. And there's trade-offs, right? I mean, it's, it's imagine if, you know, MLS had, had come in in 2013 and mandated that every MLS team have a women's team. That's basically what the Mexican model is. Yes. is that right. You're a top flight team. You're going to have a women's team. Some are better supported than others. Obviously, 
you know, as they progressed into their playoffs, you know, supporters came out of the woodwork and, and we have a, you know, a new domestic record, um, you know, in, in Mexico, which is, you know, is, is awesome. I right. mean, you know, if we go back, take ourselves back to, to 2003, to the last year of, of the WSA and the, the idea of, of a women's league in Mexico at that point, you know, was not viable, you know, and, and what they have done is basically looked at the Portland thorns and timbers and said, Hey, this might just work. They may just be onto something here. And, you know, that's, that's what's going to happen in, presumably it's what's going to happen in, in England as well. Um, you know, as you continue to see the growth of the FAWSL and the, you know, you saw City do it this year, right? Where they linked their main account team. Yeah. So that, you know, they have their women's account and their men's game day accounts, but, you know, a, a unifying uh, principle there. You know, Manchester United finally got off their stubborn high horse. And, uh, you know, it sounds like Casey Stoney is about to be, uh, you know, named as the manager there. So, you know, there are things happening in, in women's global football that are that are absolutely awesome. I don't think enough of them are happening in the U.S. right now. You know, this is all possible because we we you know tilled the soil to to create a fertile ground and show the you know the model. But um, you know, there's just there's a lot of factors that are undermining the the next that next step up the up the ladder. And uh, you know, the most basic one is is players you know, living salaries, the ability to, to just, you know, to not have to take on extra work or to, you know, start a company in order to be able to, you know, to focus on playing. I mean, that's, that is the most basic thing we have to sort out in order for us to, you know, to move forward. And so is that a, I mean, is that a market model? Is that a, is that a league thing? Is that a U.S. soccer thing? What, where, where in your mind does that, that growth and you know, I mean, like you've been on the business side of some, you know, of, of some pretty successful companies, you know, whether that's the turf company or soccer plus or whatever it might be. Where where do you see? Well, one one the- thing I didn't mention when I was doing that little introduction is that I was working for the Washington Freedom in two thousand and two thousand one uh, when we launched the WSA, and um, that was the league my father was the commissioner, of. and so there's there's not nobody is saying that this is easy but the amount of times we've shot ourselves in the foot you know you start to wonder if at some point we're going to stop doing that and you know the first thing is the nwsl doesn't have a commissioner now i i know amanda duffy i think amanda duffy is a tremendous asset to the league if i'd been on the board of directors i would have pushed for amanda duffy to be the commissioner we're now over a year without there being a commissioner. So that tells me either the board doesn't feel the same way that, that Amanda is the person for that job, even though she's kind of de facto doing it. They don't see the importance of that job or some other explanation that I, I'm, I'm unaware of. The problem is you guys follow this very closely. I follow this very closely. And a whole heap of other people follow this very closely. But what it looks like from the outside is there's no leadership. There's no vision. So you have to tell us. If you're not going to have a commissioner, explain. Just tell us why. Tell us why that's not important. Or tell us what the, 
you know, the growth strategy is or how this is going to work. Because what you see is the role that the commissioner would, would play falling through the cracks. We've seen that on reckless challenges that have not been, you know, reviewed after the fact. We've seen that on, you know, the the boiling over frustration of head coaches in their post-game comments or on tweets where they don't have someone to file a report to, or maybe they do, and those reports aren't going anywhere, but there needs to be someone who is who is ultimately doing what the answer to your question is, which is everything has to be done together. There's no silver bullet. We can't just do this or just you know add this piece, or if we just tweak this schedule a little bit, there has to be someone who recognizes this for what it is and for what it can be, and is, is the engine who's driving women's soccer in this country from where it is today to where we want it to be, you know, five, 10, 15 years from now. And, you know, for Don Garber's flaws, that's what he was for MLS. You know, MLS doesn't look like what it does today without Don having developed a vision that he was able to create tremendous buy-in around. The, and that's, that's a quite important part. I mean, is, do you see that as something that's going to, I mean, cause I think one of the things that you see is we talk about player salaries, uh, minimum salaries, maximum salaries, uh, salary cap, whatever, you know, metrics that you're using. How much say is a commissioner going to have in kind of driving those metrics forward versus owners more like Deloitte Hansen coming in with the Utah franchise and more, more owners like him with more monetary backing, being able to go to a league and say, no, we're going to push it versus it being pushed from the league down. Well, there's lots of, it's a great question. And I think that the answer is, is both, you know, I think that uh, I'm not worried about right now we have a salary cap. I'm not worried about the salary cap. I'm not worried that, you know, that someone is going to go out and, and spend a hundred million dollars on the best women's lineup in the world. I'm, I'm worried about the minimum salaries. I, I want, I want a salary basement and, you know, you want to put a $5 million ceiling on the salary cap. That's fine. But, you know, if, if you're going to tell an, a, an owner that they cannot pay their players a livable wage, that's, you know, artificially, that's, that's wrong to me, you know? And I think we have an opportunity to learn tremendously from MLS and from other American sports leagues uh, about a better way to do it. You can put a luxury tax on, you know, so you, you have a, a basement, every owner commits to spending whatever the minimum is this year, plus, you know, $50,000 or whatever it is. And you say, we've got a luxury tax threshold. And then, you know, if you want to put a cap on it, put a cap on it, but find a way to find a way to increase the overall, uh, you know, support we're giving these players or alternatively, you know, I don't care if you have a coffee shop and you hire them to work shifts in the coffee shop, you know, or you go work with the local UPS distributor and they become, you know, the second shift after training. And, and this becomes part of, you know, this is what we do as a club. You know, we go to work together and then we go to work together. I, it doesn't matter what it is as long as it's something that allows them to make enough money and for them to buy in. Because, you know, if, 
you know, if the, the owner had a, you know, had a, a restaurant or a, a coffee shop or, or whatever it is, an event space, and the players were able to, uh, you know, basically invest themselves in that. And you're seeing that a little bit with Techne, with what Yaw's doing, with Duke Dig, you know, with some of these others. Uh, but not every player has that entrepreneurial mindset and is willing to, to take that on. So we've got to find ways to, you know, to offset that. Man, if I'm a corporate, you know, marketing person today, I, I'm putting together an NWSL 11. We'll sponsor 11 players to be ambassadors, you know, just so that they can go back, go about their daily job of playing the best soccer they can play. And then, you know what, they will, they will honor your support of them. They're, they're, women's soccer is as good as any sport in the world at recognizing, you know, the support that they get and, and uh, you know, who's helping them to achieve what they're trying to achieve. And so, I mean, just to cap on it, I guess, would be like, where do you see then the federation in all, like, so you talk about MLS and Don Garber, but they're with the most recent elections and you've been very vocal uh, in the social media sphere about the, the new presidential elections. Um, and I will, I'll just kind of piggyback subsequently. Part of that is like the new GMs that are coming eventually. Um, where do you see kind of the federation putting its hand into all of this? And clearly, there's a there's a much brighter line between the NWSL and the federation than there is between the federation and MLS. But talk to us about where you see that. Well, the the first problem we have is that the you know the longer that the players are paid by the federation to play in the NWSL, the longer the NWSL will suffer because the players are the national team's players; they're not their club's players. And it's a unique, you know, again, we've done what we had to do to get to the point we're at. But if we don't craft a deliberate future, these issues that are, we already recognize them as issues now are going to become, they're just going to snowball and they're just going to become bigger issues and harder to, uh, to unravel later. So, uh, you know, to me, the first thing is the Federation should adopt at the next CBA a, uh, you know, a stipend to each club domestic club. I don't think you have to pay the clubs in France if a, you know, or Sweden, if a U.S. player goes and plays there, but you get, here's the pot of money you get for having this player for this 12 month period. Right. Um, and, and then it's for the player to negotiate with the, the club, what their, you know, what their salary is and what their, their worth to the club is. Um, but the next thing I would do is I would incentivize the clubs to assemble the best teams and to create a competitive, uh, you know, a competitive opportunity for them to make more money by relaunching the U.S. Women's Open Cup with an equal prize pool to the Men's Open Cup. I mean, this is equality 101, right? You're the, you know, there's things that we can agree on and things that we can disagree on. Right now, the structure of the Men's CBA versus the Women's CBA and, and Sunil took advantage of explaining this whenever he could, they can't be equal because the structures are inherently different. Mm -hmm. But when we look at competition, first of all, from an equality standpoint, we should have a women's open cup. And from an equality standpoint, that prize money from a federation level should be exactly the same. And the club in this particular scenario, the federation can't argue TV rights like they do with the you know TV values or sponsorship values because they're not making any TV money off the, the men's open cup right now. Anyway, they're streaming them on their, their website. Mm 
So that's fine. You want to stream games, stream the women's games too, you know, and make that. But I also think that the open cup prize pool should be significantly higher. So I think for both the men and the women, it should be a million dollar prize. And that's going to mean a whole hell of a lot more to the women's clubs than it will to the men's clubs. But imagine being able to go out nationally and say, get your friends together, put together a women's adult team, a women's senior team, or a high school alumni team or whatever it is, or college, you know, you can figure out a million different ways to assemble these teams and then go play for a million dollars. Put your team out there and see, see what it looks like, you know? And Sarah would be on the first squad. I would be out there right now. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, you know, it's American Idol, but for, for women's soccer. It would change the dynamic of a lot if that was something we could do. I mean, I think you would have players that maybe didn't find, you know, that they could make a pro team or that, you know, maybe they missed that time frame or whatever it was. They missed it by a year or whatever it was. And all of a sudden now those kids are coming out and – putting together an actually and a good team. I mean, there's so many good players that aren't playing that could be doing that. We just had one of our uh, former soccer plus uh, uh, ECNL players come out of retirement five years after the fact to play for this Connecticut fusion team. And it's just the perfect reminder that, you know, we have to, we, number one, we have to instill a lifelong love of the game in, you know, players and, and supporters. But then, you know, we've got to cultivate environments where they can express their love of the game for as long as they can play and for as long as they can, you know, as long as they want to play. Um, and, you know, so, the, the, you know, this is where we can, you know, Mexico's taking a step above us in terms of attendance and whatnot. Well, let's take a step above them in terms of competition and make this a, you know, a preeminent competition uh, and celebrate the upsets. You know, I don't, I don't get this sense that, uh, you know, there's some shame in losing in a cup competition. Right. You know, you, you, that's what this, if, if we knew what the outcome of every game was, why would we ever watch, right. you know? You just play a football manager and call it a day. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> this has been the NWSL Rewind. Have an opinion on the games? Let us hear it on Twitter using hashtag NWSL Rewind. And check us out at modernsoccercoach.com.